this is Mike Olson. I'm director of development of Stand Up for Kids Orange County and the host of Listen Up, the Stand Up for Kids podcast. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Isaiah Henry. He's the CEO and owner of Seabreeze Management Company. We're going to be chatting with him as his, him and his company are supporters of Stand Up for Kids and in a multitude of ways that we'll get into. And Isaiah also has a pretty interesting kind of trajectory that we're going to talk about through life and, and relate that back to the Stand Up for Kids mission. So, uh, Welcome, Isaiah. Thanks for taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. All right. So why don't you start by just telling us who you are and what Seabreeze is? Yeah. So Seabreeze is a homeowner association and commercial owners association management company. So we manage master plan communities, high rise buildings throughout California, Nevada, and Boise, Idaho. We've been in business for 33 years. We have over 500 employees that serve our clients throughout those regions. And you are the, the big cheese. I don't know about it. I do, I do everything that I possibly can at any time. So yeah, I don't know about big cheese. I just, I get what's left over. I'll do all of that. So. <laughs> nice. And so we've talked a couple times before and I want to go into a little bit about kind of your, your upbringing. Oh, where, where you came from? So I was uh, raised by a single mom. I was born in uh, New York. So my upbringing is, is, is not traditional. I was born into a, a religion called Sikhism. And one of the things that was important for, for, I think, American Sikhs at the time were to send their kids to India. So I spent three of my years in India and then came back to the United States. And I would say that, you know, being raised by a single mom and, and, and being in this interest interesting religion kind of placed me in the gaps and really, you know, in a, in a situation where, you know, I was lacking direction in my own life. And so, you know, through that journey of kind of growing up as a young teen and, and kind of trying to find my way, I was, I was extremely fortunate to have some amazing mentors and people who came alongside me and poured into me, whether it be helping me with schoolwork or, you know, giving me my first job, teaching me how to, um, you know, mow lawns and, and make some money from that. And really everything in between. And I can't really remember a time, and I was super fortunate between, you know, the time I got back from India to, you know, really to be a young man when I didn't have somebody that came alongside me and said, hey, you know, you've got a fantastic mom, but I want to continue to pour into you. And so, you know, I look back at my life and I'm, I'm extremely thankful for these individuals um, because they really put me on the right path to, you know, ultimately be getting to uh, customer service and then get into roles of leadership. And now, you know, the opportunity to, you know, have purchase Seabreeze and have, you know, what, what I believe one of the most dynamic, caring teams in the industry that truly, I mean, will do anything for, for our people. And, and really that's, I think, a reflection of, of how fortunate that, that I've been in my own life. Wonderful. I want to go back. I want to go back and kind of talk about some of these different segments of your life a little bit. Okay. Uh, let's go back to Sikhism. I'm going to guess that a good portion of people maybe have heard of what is of a Sikh. Yeah. I have heard of that but I couldn't really tell you anything beyond, yeah, I think that's a religion. Can you tell us a little bit, like, what, what does that entail? Yeah, so I, I will I will specify I'm not a Sikh anymore, and I was and I was younger when I was into it. So so I'm I'm a Christian now, and I go to uh, you know Great Church Mariners here in Orange County. 
So, yeah, so Sikhism was, you know, more religion where, you know, it was about gurus. Uh, it was a, re a religion that was born in India. And, you know, so so for, for us as American Sikhs, um, it was more about the things that, you know, as a kid, it's like, oh, what do you have to do or what can't you do? So for us, you know, we wore a turban. And, you know, so I'm an African-American male wearing a turban. Uh, we didn't eat meat. And there were all of these things that were kind of like, I'd say kind of pulling away from, from American culture and, and really focusing on just the religion. You know, there was a lot of yoga and meditation. And so so really that was it. You know, the, the American Sikhs lived in, in certain areas. You know, they kind of, you know, surrounded themselves with each other. So it was a portion of, of my upbringing and, and I've, I've gone far away from it. So I, I don't really remember the specifics of it. It. Um, but all I can say is that it was unique and we were different. <laughs> and so uh, that was very clear. And your and your mother was the one who was the force behind becoming a Sikh or being a Sikh? Yeah, yeah. So she, you know, in the in the hippie movement, uh, that was kind of there's a bunch of families that went in that direction and, and she chose that and and you know she was in it for some time and, and she is no longer in it as well. Gotcha. And do you have siblings? I don't. I'm an only child. So, and you, you mentioned going to India. So, what, yeah. how old were you when that happened? Eight, nine, and ten. Eight, nine, and ten. And that, that's a typical thing for an American Sikh to do? I don't know if it is anymore, but back in that time, it was something that was encouraged for American Sikhs to send your kids to India to have, you know, a better education, you know, the way, the way they considered it to be taught up in the ways of the religion to have that spiritual influence. And so it was a practice that, you know, a lot of parents, you know, did for their children. You know, I, I will be honest with you, it, it wasn't the best experience for a lot of kids, you know, to, to leave your parents and to be in this environment uh, away from them for an entire school year. You know, it was it was definitely filled with, it, with its challenges. So, so yeah. Did, did any friends go along with you? Did you, do you know people that were in India with you? So, it's interesting. Now, there has been a Facebook group that is, you know, kind of gotten together you know kind of the kids that were all there and because we did leave the religion we still don't have I don't have really relationships with any of them and and so there were a couple of kids that that you know I knew that that went to the program and so you know obviously but we were all kind of from different areas of the United States so there was a couple of kids that went from Phoenix and a couple of kids that went from from LA and, and so on and so forth and we just all ended up in the same boarding school. Hmm. So the boarding school. So then they have a structured day, and here's what you do: you go pray and yeah, just, yeah, you do the program. <laughs> Interesting. Did you get to travel? They're like opening your mindset or getting to see the world kind of perspective. Not really. I, it was it was more of kind of a, a boarding school and kind of environment. So you know, yeah, there were you know trips and outings. Um, that we would do, but it wasn't like a sightseeing tour, right? You know, I, I think I saw the Taj Mahal once, don't really remember it, you know, and I was younger, so, so yeah. So then three years, which is a gigantic chunk of a child's life, and yeah. then, then you came back to New York? Yeah, no, at the time we lived in Phoenix, Arizona, so, so I came back to Phoenix, yeah. yeah. So you come back after three years of being in India, and... Are you in public school at that point or like? Yeah, okay. so I um, went to public school in Phoenix. 
And so you're getting reintegrated then into kind of American culture a little bit, but you're still yeah. too? Yeah, you're still in, the, still in the religion. So still, you know, so you're, you know, you have a turban, you're going to American public school, right? And so it was a challenge to say the least, right? Can you imagine fourth, fifth, sixth grader walking around, you know, a public school with, with a turban on his head, you know, and it's like, wait, so you're... African-American and you're in what religion? And so there were a lot of definitely raised eyebrows and, and conversations that had to be, you know, explained. One last question on the subject, I guess. Did you, while you were in that religion, were you, were you bought in to it? Or was it kind of, well, my mom's making me do it, so I'm going to do it. Uh, yeah, definitely not. But, you know, you're so young. It's kind of like I, I was bought in because it's the only thing that I knew, you know, when it was kind of the migration into it. So I would say, you know, from that aspect, it was kind of like, is what we did. Was I extremely passionate about yoga and meditation? No. And you're also a single parent of household. Was there any relationship with your father? I did not have a relationship when I was younger. I met him when I was 16. You know, we kind of formed a, a, a distant relationship. My mom did a fantastic job at, I think, providing everything that I needed. She was that mom that worked a job in the morning and then went to school, you know, put herself through nursing school, uh, and then, you know, did another job after that. I mean, she was just a hardworking individual. And the thing that I, I, you know, I always say, it wasn't to keep a roof over in my head, it was so that I could have Nintendo. You know, she gave me everything that I wanted. Yeah, that's awesome. And then you mentioned some mentors that affected you and kind of shaped you a little bit. What age range did that start? Yeah, so probably around 13, 14, you know, I had some individuals, you know, that taught me how to start my first business, which was a lawn mowing business. And he's like, all right, so you can use my lawnmower. You know, this is how you actually have to mow a lawn. This is how you use a weed eater, you know, weed eater. These are all the tools. And so you can use my equipment and, you know, go solicit your business. And that's something that I did for some time to, to put some extra money in my pocket. And, you know, I, I remember him vividly and, you know, other individuals I think about throughout my my life and even into my early years in business I had individuals that came a, a, alongside me one of the gentlemen I can remember we were responding to a better business bureau complaint and I said here take a stab at this you know send it over to me first and let me review it before you post it on the line and he ripped it apart in a really loving way and you know he's like okay this is why this doesn't work this is what you're trying to stay, say and this is how you're trying to feel and you know I, I remember it was like I saw that template and then Ever since then, I was on my way. You know, he's he's still a close friend of mine. And so I've always had individuals that, you know, I believe have helped to kind of prop me up. And I, I try to do the same for others. Yeah. You know, this is said a lot, but it takes a village, right? Every successful person typically has a lot of people to participate and be part of their lives to, to get on that positive trajectory. Absolutely. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that's standard for kids kind of mantra too, like mentoring and being that extra positive voice in someone's ear to guide them a little bit, but, you know, show them love and care and accountability is also important. So trying to be that for the kids that we work with is our main mission. It's one of the, I mean, we're obviously handling the the housing and the basic needs components as well, um, which are hugely important, safety and a roof over your head. But at least as important is that love and care and mentoring piece that is really going to open someone's eyes a little bit wider and show them some possibilities and get them to the next step. What, what does life look like for the next few years? 
Yeah, so we, so, uh, you know, Seabreeze is, you know, obviously uh, we're, we're growing extremely fast. We've been really, really fortunate over the past couple of years. But so I kind of got into the customer service world, worked for, for a couple of different organizations, just building them customer care centers. And then I built a customer care center for a property management company and realized that, you know, I, I loved the business. I understood what we did. I really loved the value that, you know, we bring to, communities as a whole, not just, you know, obviously we manage HOAs, but, you know, to see the redevelopment of, of some of the communities and, you know, to see them from, you know, just dirt, you know, when we first walked them to then, you know, thriving with kids running through the streets. And so I just, you know, I fell in love with the business and, and that company actually moved me up to San Francisco. So I lived in San Francisco for two years and then came back down to Orange County and um, I met the founder of Seabreeze and kind of she was looking at her exit strategy and you know I figured that you know I had a, a great idea in a way that I wanted to run an organization because everyone has ideas until you get <laughs> your hands around one and and so you know she transitioned out and purchased the firm gosh it's going on six we're going on seven years now and and yeah it's just been it's been amazing we've opened offices and you know we opened our Northern California office, our Inland Empire office, San Diego, Los Angeles. And where, what'd you do for, what's your schooling? What'd you do for school? I, I did not graduate. Okay. So did not graduate I, college. College, correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I came right out of high school and was just like, I want to work. I want to, I want to do things. And school does not look like one of them for me. You know, I, I, I always hold up the book, Education of a Millionaire. Parents don't like it because it's not pointing kids towards school, but I just wanted to get out there and try. And so it seemed to work out. Yeah. Do you have a take on that now? That's hard. You know, I think that this is my personal take. So I think that College is fantastic for, for a lot of reasons. One, if you are looking for, you know, coming out of high school, you need that discipline. You know, you need to not necessarily have to be somewhere because, you know, you're, you're going to be fine if you don't show up, but you're going to have to pay some money. So I think that there is definitely a, a discipline component of it. I think the second reason that, you know, I would encourage someone to go to, to college is, you know, for those specialty trades, right? So if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be an engineer, if you want to be a nurse, I mean, those, those specialty traits are, are absolutely, you know, that education is priceless, right? Or, you know, the third is, is getting some additional exposure. I mean, getting out of the state you live, you know, the community you live and, and having some world experience outside of where, you know, you know, your little world, I think it's huge. Do I think that the path has to be college for everyone to go out there and just get a general degree? I, I would probably say no. Uh, you know, we hire people at our organization. There is no requirement to have a degree because we want people to bring their full selves, right? I would have, you know, disqualified myself if I had that requirement <laughs> yeah. at our organization. So, so yeah, I think that it's an individual path for sure. Yeah, and I guess I can speak to that a little bit too because so I went to the University of Wisconsin, so I went to a big, big Ten school. Uh, I'm from Wisconsin, um, so it was kind of a natural place to go. Grew up in a really small town, so the exposure piece that you're talking about was huge for me. So getting that cultural exposure, seeing different races, let's get like <laughs> very white in small town Wisconsin, but getting exposed to races and cultures and foods and things like that was enormous for me i ended up getting a degree in civil engineering i was always good at math so i was like well we can try engineering and see where that goes 
it's not like a general degree, at least it's a focus, you know, and I was always thinking about financial things on the backside, like, can I get paid to do this when I get out and pay off my college bills and all that. So it, it was really good for me. It ended up leading to an engineering role that paid pretty well. I'm not there anymore. I'm working for a nonprofit now. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah it, and I graduated in 2005, so 15 years ago. And the cost of college in the last 15 years is doubled or tripled. That is such a hard thing to, you know, the, the value, the cost associated with that exposure now. Like if, if I was graduating high school now, I don't know, might make a different decision maybe just totally yeah so I'm, not, so I'm not digging a hole for myself like I got my sister she's 25 now and she graduated three years ago and she's got 80,000 in debt and she's a school teacher so she's going to be living in that debt for a long time and yeah. was it worth it for her uh, yeah I, I don't know I, I think of some of our some of our young leaders you know we've got people that are you know that joined us right outside of high school and you know they were you know 18 19 flash forward six years and they're, you know, now directors with teams, you know, they've got, they've spent those years that they would have spent in school developing their job skill. They've got resumes, you know, they were able to, you know, learn so much through, you know, in those, in those four years, they've done a lot with their lives, you know, they're buying their first homes, you know, because, you know, they're in a position to do so. Yeah. And I can tell you that my first day on the job after a undergrad and a master's, so five and a half years of school, first time job, completely worthless. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing when I went to my job the first day. Like, yeah. They're like, here, do this very simple thing. And I was like, I have no idea. I went to school <laughs> for all these years and I got all the I got all the nuts and bolts, but I never got the engine. Like, here's all the pieces together. So if I had taken those years and devoted them in another way, maybe I could have gotten further ahead that way. The, the other thing that college gives you is a roadmap. Totally. Um, so if you don't have a roadmap and you're not going to college, then you got to be like self-motivated to go figure out what it is you're going to do and not sleep on your mom's couch uh, yep. <laughs> for the next three years. Tough though. And there's not a, it's not as obvious. Like it used to be like go to college. That's the path becoming kind of less and more and more ambiguous as what's the right path. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as our world continues to evolve, there are just so many options, right? I think one of the things in my life that I feel like I've missed out on is just travel, right? You know, if you, I have some friends that that came out of high school and, and started traveling and, you know, they saw the world, you know, and obviously that takes money, but, you know, they travel and then they come back and they work really hard and then they travel and they work really hard. And it's like, gosh, you know, those are some of the most well-rounded people I know and just because of their exposure um, yeah. to the world. Yeah, and I wouldn't say America necessarily really thinks about that. We are a capitalist, hard-charging, work hard, but travel doesn't necessarily, world travel, I guess you could say, maybe doesn't yeah. really get the stature that maybe it should or the importance. Yeah. So changing it up a little bit, in the professional world where does when did philanthropy and giving back enter your mindset or maybe what's one of the first first things you did to give back to your community as a professional yeah that's a that's a great question i would say you know in combination with you know mariner's church philanthropy has always been something very important for me you know i i look at you know charity as someone who's benefited from charity you know my mother 
while she was putting herself through school, uh, received lots of grants and scholarships that afforded her the opportunity to, you know, go through nursing school. And, you know, I remember her writing her essays and, and turning those in. And, and, you know, now I sit on a board where I'm reviewing essays for people who are putting themselves through school. And so uh, it's always been something that's been near and dear to my heart because I've, I've obviously been a, a recipient of that. You know, I've always volunteered here or there, whether it be, you know, mentoring a kid myself or, you know, financially giving back a part of a bunch of different charities currently serving here, both locally uh, in our communities, as well as serving internationally. I've spent some time in Kenya. Yeah. And so I partner with some organizations in Kenya, deep love for, for that country. So it's always been a part of, I, I think, my journey. And I'm always looking at, at how to do more in, in, that, in that regard. Okay, you mentioned Kenya. Uh, what's the Kenya connection? So I've been there twice. One of my best friends is, is from there. And uh, so we, we've been, I'm actually currently involved with a, a hospice. They are called The Living Room, which is run by a dear, dear friend of mine, Julie and Titus. So, so they, they run that, that hospice and, and they're doing just amazing work there. And I was looking forward to an opportunity to get back and see them. So yeah. Cool. Okay, so then early 2020, Seabreeze takes on kind of an initiative to go be philanthropic. Can you speak to the, the roots of that and where that came from and kind of tell that story? Yeah, well, Seabreeze has always been philanthropic. We've partnered with Mission Hospital and, you know, Operation Help a Hero and a bunch of other ones. So so we've, we've done a lot there. Um, a lot of, of, our, of our, our philanthropy work has been through, you know, whether it be healthcare, and there has been a portion of it that's kind of like the indirect, right? And, and so we wanted to partner with an organization where we could, yes, you know, we're, we're okay writing a check if, you know, we're fortunate enough to do so. Um, but we also wanted to actively be physically involved. We wanted to sit face-to-face -face with individuals and impact people. We also wanted to give our employees an opportunity, you know, serve in the way that they saw fit, right? And not just say, oh, this is what we're doing. You know, how do you want to serve? And so, you know, we, 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 over the last couple of years, five years, you know, we've, we've jumped from, from organization to organization you know, with the most recent being a, a stint with, with Casa Teresa, a home for women. So we, we decided that, you know, this is an opportunity for us to kind of put a stake in the ground and say, hey, you know, let's, as our organization is growing, let's, let's choose one, one charity, one, something that we all believe in, something that we can rally, something that all of our employees in, in the multiple regions can, can be a part of. And so we opened up just a, we did a survey to the employees and asked them what they wanted us to be involved in, where they wanted to place their time, energy, and money. And we got to youth, and then we looked at organizations that fit to all of our, our, our regions, and kind of, so the geography was good, uh, and Santa for Kids kept coming back, and, and so we sent a, a charity committee out to look at a bunch of different firms, and it's really funny because, you know, three of those, I think two to three, two or three of those members came back with Santa for Kids. So it was kind of like, well, you know, we don't, we don't have to vote. We're, we're here. And then, you know, obviously to meet you, Michael, we just felt your heart in it and we're just looking for opportunities to do more. So it's been, it's been a great journey. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately we got sideswiped a little bit. Well, as the whole world did with COVID, because uh, we, we had you guys out to our Anaheim location. I think it was, it was either February or March. And then right after that, then 
things went south from a COVID perspective. But yeah, we're really excited and like we can feel the passion and a lot of your team members and it was fun to have your crew out to our Anaheim Center to, to work alongside the kids and bring dinner and yeah, so I'm really excited about the partnership and I think we're going to we're gonna do a lot of good things together moving forward. For sure. What's the vision of Seabreeze? What are you trying to do as a as an owner and leader of that organization? What's your what are your, your big picture? Yeah, big picture. <laughs> so, as a as a property management company, you know people think, oh, you know, you're managing associations and you know you're managing infrastructure and you know, or you're the guys that write us letters when we leave our trash cans out. <laughs> and and while that is a portion of our job, uh, we are a people business, and so we serve people in the communities that we are fortunate enough to serve, and we protect their their most important assets is their home and and so it is an emotional business right when you're dealing with people's homes and so you know we deal with every different type of personality you know we've got hundreds of board members that choose our organization day in and day out you know uh, we're, we're fortunate enough to have the business it's, it's not something that you have forever right you know these boards have to make a decision to, to stay with Seabreeze so so we're really fortunate for that and we don't take that for granted. For us, it's, you know, seeing that, that we think our core business is people, you know, how do we ensure that we have a healthy environment for our employees that is loving and that we see them and that we know them and we know where they want to go. And, and so, because we believe that if we as a leadership team can do that well, then our employees are empowered to then go out and serve our clients, right? And so really it's kind of an inside out approach. And so we spend a lot of our time pouring into our people, um, whether that be, you know, training programs, we've got an unlimited vacation policy. We try to have, you know, the most competitive pay in the marketplace you know when it wasn't COVID season we did big bashes for our our Christmas parties I mean we brought every we flew everyone in including spouses we put them up in a hotel and and we just celebrated together and we try to give back as, as much as we can to our people and so you know the objective is to continue to do more of that to continue to pour into the lives of our employees to continue to serve our clients really really well you know we want to be approachable we want to be honest we want to be caring but we're also really proud of what we do and the work that we provide our clients. I mean, we are, you know, we got a really, really strong product offering. You know, we manage multiple different product types when it comes to the associations, whether it be, you know, a high-rise building in, in downtown Los Angeles or even on the Strip in Las Vegas uh, or to a master plan active adult community that has, you know, multiple events a day. So, you know, we're really, really proud of, of the team that we have uh, that serves our clients. And, and so as, as the leader, you know, and as a leadership team, it's not about specific benchmarks. Like we need to grow this amount. We need to get this many clients. Yeah, we, you know, we have a budget and, and, you know, we forecast because we want to be able to obviously make sure that we're on pace as an organization, but it's more about, you know, how do we create a really, really healthy environment for our, for our staff? And then, you know, in, in return, how do we continue to serve our clients with their most important asset? Yeah, and Santa for Kids, so we, I mean, obviously our, our mission is to end the cycle of youth homelessness and within Orange County, you know, we got we got to think about it in terms of numbers and trying to get more and more kids off the street year over year. A good part of this year, growing a lot of our infrastructure pieces, so getting our technology where it needs to be so that we can rip through the paperwork component and spend more time directly with our kids. And so, you know, as we've talked about a little bit, we're kind of in, a, I think we're in a little bit of an inflection point 
organizationally where we're getting a lot of that foundational stuff laid down so that large scale growth can build off of that level. So I'm pretty excited about where we're at as an organization and obviously keeping volunteers happy, staff happy, our, our advisory board excited and motivated is all part of that too. And, you know, having a company culture that's strong and keeping good people happy and engaged um, all flows along with that. And the, the, the better of a job you can do at keeping that core of people excited and motivated and doing good work, then good things just flow much quicker out of that type of an environment. So that is what we spend a lot of our time doing too. Is, I mean, high school kids and college kids have a lot to offer. Um, and there's a lot of energy with that population. And so, I mean, some people write off a high school kid. Oh, you're just a kid. Like, what do you know? I mean, if you t- lead them and you task them, there's a lot of like good energy there that can be harnessed and make good things happen. So Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, as as we've spoken about in the past, that's one of the things that excites us so much about our partnership is because you are, you know, what you're doing and the mission that you're doing. I mean, if we just focused on that, you know, it's like, yeah, we're going to do property management. We're also going to, you know, align with ending youth homelessness. I mean, it's a great initiative. And as well as the organization is in a place where, you know, it just is a perfect size fit for Seabreeze. And as we grow, we, we want you guys to grow and we want to grow in our involvement to help your mission because, you know, that should be everyone's mission, right? Awesome. If the audience takes away one thing from this conversation, what would you want them to take away? I would say, you know, as you you discuss your mission and, you know, you've, you've heard a little bit of ours, I think it's it's just do, do more good, right? It's simple, you know, just, you know, I think there it's so easy to be in our own box and it's so easy to always have something to do and to be, you know, occupied and preoccupied, you know, but there's always a capacity and to do more, right? And to do more good and whether it's in, pouring into somebody's life, like, you know, the individuals that poured into my life, I don't even have relationships with a lot of them to this day. And yet, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here now in an ability to, you know, shepherd a team of 500 dedicated, loving individuals. And so it's just knowing that, that it may seem like a small, insignificant task really can make a lifelong impact and it probably will and so you know that i try to remind myself of that constantly and and yeah i hope others do the same make the world a better place all right i like it thanks so much for being with us today isaiah Uh, it was really insightful and i appreciate your time for sure thanks Thank you for listening today to Listen Up, the Stand Up For Kids podcast. A big thank you to our production team consisting of associate producer Billy Quinn and editors Ariba Kauka, Pablo Ortega, and Michelle Bernay. Find us on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support Stand Up For Kids, please share this podcast with family, friends, and colleagues. Also, check out our website at standupforkids.org slash Orange County, and you can email me directly at michaelo at standupforkids.org to learn more. Please also consider a donation to help getting kids off the streets. 95 cents out of every dollar donated goes directly to support our kids. I'm your host, Michael Olson, Director of Development at Santa Fe Kids, Orange County. Thanks for listening and have a great day.